Hello friends, it's Pastor Tanner here, and uh, I'm excited because today we're beginning a new um, kind of midweek study, um, something that I'm going to um, do in several installments over the next few weeks. Um, and, and the topic of this study is going to be um, reading the Bible well. And so whether you're a uh, lifelong Christian, somebody who's been around the church for a long time and, and kind of knows your way around the Bible, um, this may be helpful um, in maybe refreshing some things, reminding you some things that you've forgotten, or even bringing some things to your attention that maybe you never picked up along the way. Or if you're relatively new to faith or new to um, church that spends so much time in the Bible, um, there'll be some great tools and some foundational uh, ideas that will help you in your in your growth and your study. And so um, the goal of this is not to, to teach, you know, every little detail about the Bible, but to provide context and tools that will help you um, read the Bible uh, well by yourself, but also understand what we're talking about in services and Bible studies and other stuff as well. So um, reading scripture um, and reading it well is, is a, is one of my priorities as, as pastor. I think that's so critical. It's the reason why there's so much scripture in service um, and why I spend so much time actually talking about the text and um, and how we read it and the context in which it comes from. So um, I hope this is helpful and I hope you're uh, as excited about this as I am. Um, it's, a, it's a good tool and I, I hope it's meaningful to you. Um, so the first uh, week, here we are, we're just going to do an introduction to the Bible. <coughs> And in this first session, uh, we're just going to look at some background info uh, about this amazing book, um, the Bible. Uh, it's it's a book that contains an amazing amount of diversity. Um, we oftentimes think about it as a, a static thing or as a, a you know snapshot of one particular culture or one particular moment in time or one particular idea, but. The Bible has a tremendous amount of, of diversity, and you'll find in it a mix of, of, of amazing history. Um, there's some powerful poetry. There is uh, prophecy, um, writings of prophets, um, great wisdom, um, lots of wisdom, actually, um, and some simple proverbs, some easy phrases and types of things that just kind of remind us of how we should live. <clears throat> but also there's some difficult teachings, some hard words um, that are presented to us. Um, and it's difficult to understand uh, what the Bible has to say to us now, today, if we don't understand the context and the culture and the world that it came out of and what it was originally intended to do. Right. So if, if a poet is writing poetry, but we're taking it as science, for example, um, we may be asking questions that the author wasn't intending to answer. Um, and so it's not bad to ask those questions, but it's important to start with um, what would this have been said? What would this have said to the original hearers? And why was this written, right? So it's, it's uh, a holy book for Christians. Parts of it is the Old Testament is, is the Hebrew Bible, um, right? It's played a major part in the development of civilizations around the world, the development of social values. The Bible has been a foundational um, document, foundational book um, for for the world um, for a long time. 
And so it's had this key role of influencing world development. And so uh, whether you believe every word on the page or you think it's all nonsense, um, the reality is it, the Bible affects you, it shapes you, it has shaped the world that we live in. Um, and then it, it kind of makes some claims about itself as well. So um, there's a part in the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, useful for rebuking, uh, correction, training in righteousness, um, so that people may be thoroughly equipped to do the good work that God has called them to do. Um, and what's interesting is when that was written down, the person that wrote it probably wasn't thinking about that specific thing as scripture. I was probably thinking of Old Testament scriptures. Um, but um, that's what's so amazing about the Bible is that God inhabits it and speaks through it and reveals himself to us through it, even um, in ways that maybe the original author didn't intend. So um, the first thing when we look at our Bible is we have to understand that it is a unique book, right? It's, it's, there's nothing really else like it out there. Um, <clears throat> it's first off, it's, it's the world's bestseller. So in all the different versions and languages and everything, um, it's estimated, um, that between 1815 and 1975, um, about two point, um, hold on, let me get this number right. That's a lot of zeros. 2.5 billion copies of the Bible were printed. Um, and that's just in that window in like more modern recent history. So um, each year, um, 100 million Bibles or parts of the Bible, sometimes they're just printed by books or sections of the books. Um, 100 million are printed each year and distributed. Um, these are huge numbers when compared to books that like sell a million copies, bestsellers, you know, those types of things. Um, the best-selling novel ever has sold about 30 million copies over a period of about 20 years, and the Bible um, is printed about 100 million copies each and every year. So you can see that it, it is by far the biggest selling, biggest distributed book. And the reason why you have all these different devotionals and different ones, because everybody knows if you, you make a Bible, people are going to buy it. Um, it's uh, been translated into 337 languages. Um, and at least one book of the Bible has been translated into over 2,000 languages. So um, the complete thing is in over 330 languages, which is incredible. That means uh, almost any person on earth can have access to the Bible in, uh, in their language um, or hear it read uh, in their language. Um, and so it's a lot, of, a lot of work involved in translation and printing. And there's Bible societies and groups that make this their primary goal. Um, to get the Bibles distributed to people in their language. Um, the Bible has, has endured thousands of years of copying by hand. Um, so it's existed a long time before the printing press. And so um, initially the Bible, um, the texts, especially in the oldest parts of the Bible, they were passed on from one generation to the next using oral traditions. Um, and they were very careful to make sure that the next generation understood the story. It was just a part of their culture, the way that they told the story. And so there's oral traditions and then it moved into written traditions. And then um, obviously more recently, the printing press and um, 
you know, now digital printing and all that type of stuff. Um, and uh, through all that, it's it's remained relatively unchanged other than all the different translations and and all that. Um, throughout the life of the, of the Bible, it's been burned and it's been banned and it's been outlawed in various cultures and various countries. Um, at one point, for example, in 1408, um, England passed the law that said that no one can translate um, any text of the Bible into English or any other language that it had to remain in the language they had it in, so probably Latin. Um, maybe there were some Greek translations at the point, I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, you couldn't put it into modern, practical, common languages and that uh, nobody should read that book in that language either. Um, and so there was people who didn't do those translations. You may have heard of a, a, a guy called Tinsdale, Tyndale, uh, William Tyndale, and he was killed for translating the, the Bible into English. Um, others were burned at the stake for saying the Lord's Prayer in English. So um, even more recently, it's been uh, you know illegal um, to have a Bible um, in particular areas in, in various countries. So. Um, but it's as we dig into what the Bible is and understanding it, um, it's important to understand that the, the Bible is, while it is a book, it is actually a library of books. Um, the word Bible comes from the Greek word biblos, which simply means writings or books. Um, the Bible isn't just one book, it's actually many, many books. Um, the Bible that many of us are familiar with is 66 books. Now, other traditions may have um, some other stuff. You know, if you're Catholic, you might have some different books in your Bible um, and, you know, things called Apocrypha or intertestimonial writings. And so, anyways, we won't get into that, but the, the general Protestant American traditional Bible has 66 books written by a lot of different authors. Um, and so, at the front of your Bible, if you have a, a Bible at hand, you'll see the table of contents that lists out these 66 books. Um, and you may already know some of these books and some of the stories that they contain, um, stories that have permeated our culture and moved beyond um, just a Christian teaching. So for example, like who is the first man and first woman created? Like people that have never stepped foot in a church know about Adam and Eve, right? Or who survived the flood? You know, who built the ark? It was Noah, right? Like people outside of church cultures know those stories. Um, or Exodus, right? Exodus includes the the uh, commandments that God gave to Moses, and there were how many commandments? Right, ten commandments. Like so, so people know these things. Um, the Bible has has made its way into popular culture long enough and has permeated enough that people know information about the Bible. Um, or like Daniel, he was thrown into a, a den of, right, we know it's lions. Um, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So like we, we're familiar with, with some of these things. Um, these 66 books were written by about 40 different authors. Um, and maybe maybe a few more, maybe a few less. Some of the, the books are hard to distinguish um, who actually wrote them. Um, and these authors had a lot of different occupations when they wrote them. So you have some texts that were written by kings or you know conscribed by kings. They were told to be written, dictated by kings. 
Um, some are from shepherds, some are from prophets, some are, you know, people that were herdsmen that worked with goats and sheep, right? Um, teachers, some were lawyers in the religious traditions or teachers of, of law, some were doctors and so on, right? So these authors of the Bible lived in 10 different countries, as far as we can tell, and have written um, these, these texts over the course of 1600 years. So from the beginning, when people started writing down uh, the Bible and when it was kind of closed and completed, um, that's a 1600-year period in there. So um, the, the people that started writing the Bible had probably could not imagine what the world would have looked like by the time the last verses of Bible were, were written. Um, and, and over those 1600 years, they're primarily written in three different languages even. So, and yet through all that, 1600 years, 40 different authors, um, 10 different countries, three different languages, um, the Bible speaks in a unified manner. And, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't have to do work to understand it. It doesn't mean that we don't have to ask, ask questions as they come up. But um, there is a there is a consistency, a theme, a message, a a plot in the story, if you will. Um, and so this this Bible that we have is broken into two testaments, um, and we we use this word a lot. And like again, people know Old Testament, New Testament, or um, lately scholars have been referring to it as the First Testament and the Second Testament, trying not to um, denigrate the the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, because old things are inherently less valuable in our society um, when we have a new one, right? Like, this is my old iPhone, but I got a new iPhone. So, like, they've been calling it the First and Second Testaments um, to try and remove some of that bias that we inadvertently have. Um, and a testament, all that is, is an agreement or a covenant, right? Or a promise. Um, so, it's it's one in the, the Old Testament or the First Testament, is a covenant promise between God and people, but specifically God's people um, that he created, um, that he gathered, that he made into a people, um, the chosen people of God uh, that became Israel. And uh, his promise covenant was originally with, with Abraham, and the Bible tells the story of that promise and how well or um, how poorly the people of God stuck to that promise, but that's what the Old Testament is. And the New Testament is a promise, a covenant, a a, a contract with um, all of mankind through Jesus, right? So that's what distinguishes those two. Um, and so there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, <clears throat> oftentimes, there is an impulse for Christians to kind of focus only on the New Testament. Um, we have um, even gotten to the point at times where we'll we'll get Bibles in people's hands, but we'll we'll only have the New Testament little handout Bible. Um, one to cut down on costs, but two because we think that the focus on Jesus in the beginning of the New Testament is is the critical part, and the Old Testament, while important, maybe isn't as important, right? So again, that whole first and second Testament thing, um, scholars are really trying to help us guide us away from. Um, diminishing uh, a tremendous amount of, of history, a tremendous amount of wisdom, a tremendous amount of revelation of God. Um, so that Old Testament, um, we as Christians shouldn't be too quick to um, throw it aside. Now, it doesn't mean we, we 
<clears throat> we don't have to wrestle with it in light of what we know about Jesus, but we'll get to that um, in, in a little bit. Um, like I said, the, the book of the Bible is actually many books, and there's many types of books in there, and it's sometimes it's tricky to understand what we're reading. But if you start to understand the type of book it is, um, it will be helpful um, to understand what, the, what it's actually saying. So, for example, there are um, books of law. And when you think law, I mean, we think of, like, don't break the speed limit or don't steal other people's stuff or you go to jail, like those types of things. Um, law for the Hebrew, the people of Israel, um, law is more correctly understood as teaching. Um, and so it's the teachings. Um, the first five books of the Bible are sometimes called the Pentateuch. Pent um, is where we get, you know, it stands for five, which is where we get like the Pentagon, um, right? So five, the first five books of the Bible. And they contain early history of God's people, as well as the teachings, the instructions, the laws that God gave to Moses and others. Um, there's history. Right? There's books that contain a lot of history, and um, some, some of the books have um, the same stories, but told from different perspectives. And so um, while we say that the Bible doesn't contradict itself, um, there's similar stories told from different perspectives. So it's important to understand that this is history, but it's not an objective, um, far-removed history. Like, um, just because it's in the Bible um, means that like the people that wrote it understood everything that was happening. So there's, for example, um, stories in, in Chronicles of the Kings um, in the Old Testament that were written from a perspective about the king and the nation. And then there was uh, other books, um, you know, like First and Second Samuel, that were written from a perspective, the same stories, same events, but written from a different perspective of the nation and the king. And so, anyways, I'm not, not trying to get into too deep specifics, but it's important to understand it's history, but there's definitely a theological perspective on this history. Um, there's poetry. You may not know this, or maybe you do, but there's a lot a lot of poetry in the Bible. And uh, like I said, if you approach that poetry not knowing it's poetry, you're going to be asking questions of it that that poet had not intended um, to be answering. And like I said before, we can get to those things, but it's going to be a bit of a, a you're going to have to do work understanding that this was, this language was poetic language, right? Um, <clears throat> then, and we can't be caught up in thinking of poetry of the way that we think of poetry. It, it, it doesn't rhyme. Um, that's not the defining characteristic of poetry is that it rhymes. It's, it's classified as poetry because of the way it's, it's structured. Again, we can't apply our own understanding, um, of what something is to a 2,000 or a 3,000 year old document and then evaluate it based off of what we anticipate things being. The ancient people had their own version of poetry and their own way of communicating and their own way of adding emphasis to things. And it's not the same way that we do, um, but it's still poetry. Okay, um, prophecy, It's uh, that's another type of book. And while there's lots of prophets, it, we need to step back from the idea that it's like fortune telling or future telling, the prophets of God spoke the word of God to people in a very specific context, um, saying that if you stay on the path that you're on, it will not lead you where you want to go. And so they speak the words of God 
It's wisdom. It's invitation to repent, to turn away from the direction you're going. It's it's foretelling of um, the consequences of your actions. So when somebody talks about the temple being destroyed, that's not a, uh, a prediction, you know, seeing into the future. I can see into the year 70 AD and the temple is falling down. It's saying, if you keep um, attacking the most powerful military nation in the history of the world, um, your meager little civilization is not going to be standing for very long, right? And so that's a prophetic word. So we got to get past the idea that prophets foretell the future. Like we, we're going through this um, season now where there's people that were prophetically declaring the, the results of the election. And um, many of them now are having to go back and address their congregations or their audiences because what they said was going to happen didn't happen. Um, and so we got to be careful that we don't, we, uh, prophetic voices are powerful, um, but it's not a, it's not a, you know, on, on such and such a day, this is going to happen exactly this way. That's not what biblical prophecy is, at least. <clears throat> and then there's gospels. Um, this is another type, and there's, there's four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, to understand why we have four different versions of that story and why they're not told the same way, and like Mark doesn't even have Christmas in it, like he doesn't have baby Jesus. He jumps in with Jesus as an adult and like they're different and they include and in, in things that it, differently than each other. And, um, but it's important to understand the gospel is, um, it's a story of someone who is a conquering king. So in the day and age of Jesus, um, if a king conquered a new territory, that king would send a gospel to his newly conquered territory and say, good news, that's what gospel literally means is the good news, Good news, you are now part of the Roman Empire, for example. And as such, here is what you need to know about your new king. He was born in this miraculous way. So he comes from divine origins. He has done, since the beginning, done miraculous things to prove who he is. The uh, authority that he carries has been affirmed over and over and over again through signs and wonders and powers and wisdom and all these things, right? So the gospel of Jesus is one of these things that culminates in Jesus being declared king of all creation, right? So um, we we talk about gospel and we often think of, you know, how do I get saved or how do I go to heaven when I die? Um, but it, the original idea behind gospel was an announcement that there is a new king and you need to know who this new king is so that you can choose to either follow this king or live in rebellion to this king. And that's what the gospels are. It is, here is Jesus, here's everything that proves he is who he is, and at the end, you're presented with the choice of pledging your allegiance to this king or living in rebellion to this king. So I think that's a helpful context that we often miss because we have such an evangelistic um, thing that we've actually, um, like, jump over to the book of Romans, for example, to, to try and teach the gospel. Um, and we totally ignore the gospels when we're trying to explain the gospel. Anyways, that's for um, uh, more study at a later date. And then there's letters. So a lot of the New Testament specifically is letters from um, one or two specific people, a handful of people, to churches that were wrestling with problems, that had issues, that that because um, the people that wrote the letters had to be physically separated from their people, um, they wrote letters. And I appreciate uh, probably Paul more now, the apostle that wrote most of the letters, more now having gone through the pandemic myself, trying to pastor a church um, in which I can't physically be present all the time. My camera's moving, hold on. Um, and 
understand, you know, here I am doing video stuff. This is my equivalent to Paul's, Paul's letters. And so much of this is very personal stuff. Um, now, it is scripture, and we hold it to be scripture, but there's parts in there that, like, give specific instructions. Like, hey, the next time you go to this place, I left my coat there. Would you grab my coat and bring it with you when you come to the city I'm in now? Like, very specific. Like, you realize you're reading somebody's mail. But it also is powerful truth. And so um, somebody would send these letters with a carrier, and that person, that messenger, would take that letter and go read it to a community, read it to a church, and proclaim it. And then they would answer questions um, about the letters and, and try and explain it. And um, so it was it was a whole way that the world worked there. Letter writing and letter sharing was was it directly tied with teaching and preaching. So, um, but understand that much of the New Testament is, is letters. Um, let's see, what else do you need to know about getting to read your Bible well? Um, the Bible, like I said, covers uh, a huge period of time. So even though it was written over a 1,600-year period, it covers basically four to 6,000 years of human history, depending on how you date certain things. Um, so most, much of the Old Testament, so if you go back to like the call of Abraham, that's, you know, 3,000, 4,000 BC maybe, or, you know, like it's, it's years and years and years ago. Um, and then the New Testament, the whole of the New Testament probably covers about 100 years worth of time, right? So the Old Testament covers thousands of years, from from the beginning, the creation of the world, all the way to, you know, right before Jesus was born, a couple hundred years before Jesus was born. But then the New Testament literally encompasses, like, the years before Jesus was born, depending on which gospel you start in, and going right up till, you know, 40 or 50 years after Jesus was around. And so there's, it's a much more compressed time frame. So just be aware of that. Like, when... When we talk about um, Moses, when Jesus talks about Moses, for example, he's as far removed from Moses as we are removed from Jesus, uh, time-wise. So, so when we think about, well, Jesus was forever ago, how could we ever really know anything about Jesus the person? When Jesus walked the earth, he had that same distance back to Moses. So there's, um, it's, it's a very ancient ancient book, ancient people, ancient stories. Um, and then the other thing, just kind of want to throw in there, is the Bible has a lot about geography. And we probably missed this because we don't really tune into the geographical um, importance. Um, you know, what city they were in and that like may not mean much to us as we're reading through it, like for devotionally or something. Um, I'm wanting to learn about Jesus or I want to learn about God. I'm not necessarily caring about which city was next to this river. Like, I, whatever. But because the Bible does include and describe so much geography, um, it's actually helpful to look at a map when we're reading. Um, and, you you know, a lot of Bibles have maps in them. Um, Google is a free service. So, like, if you've got computer or your, your smart device, tablet, whatever, you can just Google, like, map of Israel in the time of Jesus or map of Israel in the time of Moses, and it will pull up the map with all the villages and traveling routes and all that type of stuff, or the map of, of Paul's missionary journeys. And it'll, it, it's all online. It's all free. It's a great resource. Um, and so, like, you start realizing things. That, that, like when the Bible says they went up to Jerusalem or they went down um, into the wilderness. So up 
um, they physically went up. Jerusalem is a city that is elevated over the surrounding valley that's around it, or down into the wilderness. The wilderness is that that valley um, that is more barren and dry, and so the up and the down and the you know that's a direction, but it's also um, tells you things about um, the way the how those things were situated and located in the culture, um, and so. That's kind of the the intro to the Bible, to reading it well, um, is that you you need to understand what is happening, um, what type of book it is, um, maybe the context uh, in which it was written. You know, is it a letter? Is it a poem? Is it books of law? Is it history? Is it written by a king? Is it written by a shepherd? Is it written by um, a guy in prison? Is it written by a guy following Jesus? Right? Those things will all shape our understanding and help us understand um, what we're reading. And so even if we come across one verse and say, I really like that verse, this verse is meaningful to me. You know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Um, you know, Psalm 23. To know that that's probably written as poetry may shape the way that we read it. Um, maybe not, um, but be aware of that. And uh, most people who set out to read the Bible seriously, which I hope you are one of them, that you, you desire to understand the Bible, um, soon find it to be a challenging book to read. Um, number one, we, we as Christians believe it it's, speaks the word of God, it reveals God to us, and, um, and so it's, it, it becomes important how we understand it. And so maybe we were a little more timid to approach it, um, maybe we're a little hesitant to ask questions because if we say we don't understand it, um, maybe that says something about us. Or maybe we think we have the answer and we're not necessarily wanting to dig deeper because, you know, um, if it is God's word, we should just be able to understand it as we read it or something. I don't know. There's a lot of um, baggage that we bring to Bible reading for whatever reason. And so um, I just want to encourage you that the Bible, when it is well read, can be a life-changing um, resource. Um, we don't worship the Bible. The Bible is not part of the Trinity. It's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Bible, right? Like, it's something that reveals God to us, though. And um, to read the Bible well is to see God clearly. And as Christians, we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. And I'll get uh, more to that in the future about what that looks like. But um, this is about the end of our, our intro one. Um, I know it's been superficial, kind of surface level. Um but hopefully provide some context and some foundations for us to jump on uh, the next time. So um, hope this is helpful. If you know somebody that's struggling to get to understand what the Bible is, um, maybe you can share this with them. And um, uh, if you got questions, I'd be glad to chat with you or point you to more resources. But uh, we'll be back next week with another um, installment of How to Read the Bible Well.